0: Welcome to Inside the China Room, a show within the Ginger River Radio podcast series and your go-to podcast for anything about the Chinese current events. I'm your host, Jiang Jiang, the founder of Ginger River Review, a newsletter that focuses on reporting the priorities of both the leadership and the general public in China and the views you do not normally see from mainstream English language media. Today, we are diving deep into the pulse of China's China consumer market, China's retail sales of consumer goods, a major indicator of the country's consumption strengths. Climbed 7.2 percent year-on-year in 2023, according to the National Bureau of Statistics. Daniel Zipser, who leads McKinsey's consumer and retail work in Asia, said in an article that China's economy is steadily evolving towards being more consumption-driven, and estimated that the country will add an additional 1.4 trillion U.S. dollars in retail sales over the next five years. The Central Economic Work Conference held in December last year, a town-setting meeting for China's economic development in 2024, stressed the importance of promoting consumption from post-pandemic recovery to continuous expansion, cultivating and strengthening new types of consumption, vigorously developing digital consumption, green consumption, and healthy consumption. So what are the new types and trends of consumption emerged in the post-pandemic era in China? What international brands did the right thing to capture the opportunities created by those trends? What's special about the consumer market in China's third and fourth tier cities? Join me in today's episode to discuss China's consumer market. Is Ya Ling Jiang the founder of Following the Yuan, a newsletter covering China's consumer market, and After China, a research and strategy consultancy? As a journalist and a strategist, Ya Lin focuses on human-centered business reporting observing consumer trends, and comparing the societal and cultural aspects between China and West. Her work can be found on CNN, Fast Company Food, Barron's Penta, Market Watch, Vogel Business, Glassy, Monaco, Sixth Tone, among others. Hi Yalin, welcome to Inside the China Room.
1: Hi Zhenzhan, it's nice to be here today. Um, Before Chinese New Year, you may be the last person to talk to you professionally before Chinese oh.
0: New Year. Oh, really? Actually, I have been thinking inviting you to this podcast for a long time. And I think it's a good time to talk to you now because actually we are came to end to the end of the year of rabbit of the Chinese year. And we're going to start the new year of dragon, right? And uh, China's consumer market actually has undergone some changes after pandemic in 2023. So in your opinion, what were the main changes in China's consumer market in 2023? What trends we can expect in China's consumer market in the new year? How might these changes impact the market for international brands in China?
1: Yeah, I think when we talk about consumer trends, we tend to think it's started from the grassroots level. But the thing in China is actually a lot of consumer trends are driven by capital and are driven by government policies. And I think while we watch how consumers behave in the current economic condition, we also want to look behind the closed curtains and we want to see who are the main drivers behind these consumers. So some of the key trends actually rolled up a roundup for last year, but I think some of them are still going to shape up next year. So one very pronounced trend in the capital world is that there's a lot of corporate VCs buying up smaller brands and also a lot of international brands. They saw the potential and the opportunity for some niche Chinese brands, for example, in beauty and perfume. And they started buying small amount of equity in these brands. So I see a lot of in like a local Chinese saying, it's like 交个朋友. We want to befriend these smaller competitors. And uh, I think that's how the capital market is going to like weather the storm. Um, so some recent examples, Estee Lauder and uh, L'Oreal both have invested in China's beauty and perfume brands. I think for Chinese perfume, especially for the high-end products, People were really loving it. Even if they don't buy, they like to go and see it and see how special Chinese scent can be. See how high-end the brand makers can make Chinese scents to be. So Chinese perfume is definitely something to watch in the coming year. At the same time, I'd love to say that the business and consumers in general are gravitating towards traffic, whether it's social traffic or foot traffic in offline retail spaces. So we're going to see a lot more pop-ups and exhibitions by international brands, such as luxury brands. And we're going to see the further convergence of the traffic-led business with traditional business. For example, I wrote down something about uh, how social media is actually stealing business from online travel agencies because social media platforms like Douyin and uh, Kuaishou and uh even the New Orientals live streaming business, they have a lot of attention. They have captured all the traffic online. So the travel agencies now want to work with them. Um, but at the same time, these social media platforms realize that they can actually do travel themselves. So they are going to go into every traditional industry and have a slice of the cake. So we're going to see a lot of these changes as well as what's happening in the physical space.
0: Mm -hmm. Since you touched the the social media part, so actually uh, I want to ask you, how would you describe the way Chinese consumers nowadays process information? and their activities on China's social media platforms. Is there any significant changes, I mean, comparing to the era before the pandemic? And uh, in this context for international brands, what strategies should they employ to leverage social media for branding and product marketing in the new year?
1: Yeah, you may have to remind me on what the latter two questions are, but I'll go to the first one about the media consumption habit before, during, and after COVID. And I think before, even before the COVID era, we were pretty social media driven. The thing about media consumption here is that people are very mobile forward. They like to watch, read, and uh, book, spend on their mobile phones instead of desktops. They only tend to use desktops for work. So... With that as a backdrop, coming into the COVID era, which were roughly from 2020 to 2023, we saw the rise of live streaming, which can be compared to what is called TV shopping in the US. It never really took off in the US, which I think has something to do with how people react to the mobile version as well as or versus the desktop or TV Um, But in China, people do everything on their phone, they consume information on their phone. But what's happening after COVID, which was around the, the beginning of last year, is that some attention has been diverted out of live streaming. So last year, you can see whenever you see a new story about live streaming, it's not necessarily great. It's about how the sales are dropping and how people fell out of love of those top live streamers. And at the same time, there are some smaller celebrities going into the space trying to present live streaming in a different manner because it used to always be bye, bye, bye. That's what kind of defines live streaming. People yelling at you, asking to buy stuff. But then there were a lot of influencers and celebrities trying out a different style. They want to present subjects and uh, brands they actually love and they tell the stories behind it. It's a more quiet, luxury kind of manner. So that's what's happening with live streaming. But what will be happening and trending next year, I think it's going to be social media content. I mean, social media content on e-commerce platforms because platforms like Pinduoduo, and Taobao, they all realized for years that short videos are key to capture people's attention. So as of last year, you also saw, you can also see Taobao deploying this tactic. Uh, I think that's something maybe they learned from Pinduoduo that when you go on the landing page and you scroll down and you see so many short videos, uh, they can be like clips from live streaming or they can be uh, some influencers or key opinion consumers using this product. And those are very targeted because it, you can directly go to the product page. So things like this are more, much more direct. I think one last thing I want to say about 24 is that more of people's attention will be stolen by short videos. Mm-hmm.
0: So because not we... only
1: short video platforms are doing that, but also e-commerce platforms are doing that too. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're so saying?
0: Can we say that for international brands, well, have some cooperation or go to China's social media platform is like their top priority right now, like almost for, um, for, for all the 2C brands?
1: Yes. Now. Yeah, I think so. That's where they have to be. And I think a lot of them are already doing that, but when you compare their content versus the local brands or the local influencers you feel like their content isn't super down-to-earth or as we call jie di they're not super reflective of the consumer sentiment or like online memes. I think they may want to, if they're gonna try this one thing, 24, I highly encourage them to maybe hire people who are very uh versed in whatever space they're trying to promote themselves in and be more connected to the consumers. I think one thing they've always kind of fall behind compared to local brands is news jacking. News (laughs) jacking (laughs) is (laughs) 趁热点, right? I think in the live stream space, at least, the last year, if you saw how Li Jiaqi like people were annoyed at Li Jiaqi for something he said about how regular consumers cannot afford really cheap, quote unquote, really cheap Chinese beauty stuff. And then people said, we're done with you. Some people have left his live streaming Mm -hmm. room to others. And at this time, there are a number of local brands that launched products with a price that match what Li Jiaqi was describing that was a brow pencil of like 79 kuai. So a lot of local beauty brands, they launched products of 70 kuai and they say that we can provide more value than this brow pencil. With this example, I'm not saying international brands should do that exactly, but newsjacking is a great way to attract consumers' attention in China. Of course, you can find, you can find a way... To do that, I think, to re-promote some of your products or re-strengthen your key messages in one way or another. But the thing is that you have to be out there. Otherwise, people's attention are always going to go. They always go with a trending list, right? They always go with trending list on Weibo um, on all the other informational sites. Yeah, and that's where international brands fall behind.
0: Mm-hmm. And if we want to talk about some successful cases of international brands, is there any brands or case that came to your mind? Hmm. No?
1: (laughs) No, yes. One thing that came to mind is probably Louis Vuitton's pop-up. But I think it only achieved its success because it's Louis Vuitton if it's some other Luxury brands, I don't know if it's going to attract as many audience or have so much volume on social because they also invested a lot of ad dollars. So what was happening last year with Louis Vuitton was that in the second half of 2023, they had a pop-up on Suzhou Creek in Shanghai, and they also revamped a boat. And Mm. they worked with a podcast company, to produce their own cultural podcast about Shanghai in which they actually invited the writer of Fanghua the Blossoms which is awesome and when I went with my friend we didn't really plan to buy anything i didn't of course we wanted to queue up in front of the like a coffee desk first but there were too many people so we went to the exhibition space first and i think What it did the best is to present Louis Vuitton, which is something we think that are so far away from the regular consumer scene to something that's really close to our everyday life. That's when we feel that, hey, luxury brands can actually be accessible. It's not always something presented in the boutique in the mall by snobbish sales assistants. So on that day, my friend actually bought something. He didn't plan to, but he bought something because we felt like the assistants there were really knowledgeable and really cared about customers. So he bought a Christmas present for his girlfriend, I think.
0: hmm And I'd like to talk about Harbin, you know, the northeastern Chinese city that might be this winter's most popular domestic travel destination. I'm curious about your perspective on why Harbin has become so popular. It seems Mm. to me that the attractions in Harbin have been there for a while. So why has it suddenly caught fire? Do you think the city's popularity sheds any light on new consumption conceptions among Chinese consumers?
1: Right. I think with Harbin, you have to go back to my first point, which is that some trends are not only driven by consumers; they can be driven by governments, or capital, or businesses. And Harbin, I think it's a special case because the local government has done so much to promote it. But if you compare har- the like the search results on Baidu on Baidu Index from uh, Sorry, from the Zibo era. Zibo is basically mm-hmm. the previous Wanghong city. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That I think purely driven by consumer demand and probably a sense of FOMO. But when you see the search results of Harbin, you don't, it's basically a fraction of that. It's probably one tenth of the peak era of Zibo. At the same mm. time, we see a lot of media coverage about Harbin. Also, a lot of coverage by other local governments. For example, I'm I'm definitely sure, like the Shanghai state media has also covered Harbin. Maybe I'm just guessing. Maybe they tend to think that we are helping each other out. And now you have mm. the traffic. Now you have the tension. So I'm gonna give it to you. Um, but I think with Harbin. I'm not sure if the tourism trend is going to last um, because it's very seasonal and people tend to forget about it after winter. But one thing I'm sure is that the fashion trend will be continued and celebrated because what Chinese people used to think about Dongbei style, about the red and the green colors all in the same place, we think it's very cool. we think it's kind of stylist and sometimes people make fun of it or wear it on purpose to be funny but i think after this people are really embracing the dombe style <laughs> in fashion i actually saw like a local fashion brand called fabric corn I think they they mixed in some Dongbei elements in the uh, Spring Rush campaign, which is very, also very timely. I also saw that when I was still in Shanghai, I saw a dog wearing like a Dongbei jacket on the street. <laughs> yeah. So I think the fashion is going to have a lasting effect, but I'm not sure so much about tourism.
0: Uh-huh. And, uh, I also noticed in your post that you mentioned the ones who have been watching China for a long time would have noticed that many large consumer brands and luxury brands are strategically going to lower tier markets. Mm -hmm. Actually, I don't know. Maybe Harbin is a lower tier market. And you give some local examples, such as with the well known retailer Dong Lai and Chinese Mm -hmm. burger brand. uh, Testing. Those are pretty successful local brands. Do you believe that Chinese large businesses and international brands should strive for market share in tier three and tier four cities? If so, compared to tier one and tier two cities, should large businesses do differently in these regions? And what kind of adjustment do you think they should do?
1: Right. I think when you talk about Harbin, I wouldn't necessarily see it as a lower tier market. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. mostly
1: because it's driven by tourism and uh, the main attraction people go to, which is, I think it's called the Ice and Snow World. Some brands did put campaigns in there. They kind of built their own ice sculptures in there, which is spot on. But yeah, I don't know if they saw that coming. I don't know if they saw that traffic coming, but it's important to stay local and celebrate local um so I think it kinda of speaks to that rather than going to lower tier cities. But in regular the consumer scenarios where for example malls or street side shops, I think Starbucks is doing quite well because they realize that the first tier markets are already very saturated and we don't we don't think sp- Starbucks is special anymore. So uh, as of a recent quarter, they were just reporting actually a few days ago. Uh, they, let me see. China comparable store sales increased 10%, driven by a 21% increase in comparable transactions. I think people and also the management attribute that to their lower city expansion, which I think is, Amendable. Um, although I think it also means that you have to see whether the lower tier audience is ready for you. Starbucks has been in China for around twenty five years. Everyone has heard of them, so it doesn't. That definitely has the power. It has the reputation. But if your brand isn't super well known, you have to start anew in a city. You cannot just Go at Starbucks, and uh, which I guess it doesn't even need any more investment in marketing locally because people just know. But if you are still new in China, I actually think maybe the new first tier or second tier cities may be a good place to go, or at least you can do some experiments there, for example, the offline events, the pop ups to see how those audiences respond yeah and i'm glad you mentioned pang do is my favorite store that i haven't been to oh, I haven't okay. even been, i haven't even stopped into Hunan full stop but it's it's part of my new year's plan that i definitely want to go to and definitely want to see pang Dong Lai.
0: oh you mean they're like their headquarters are in in Hunan
1: yes yeah, their headquarters also they're they only have stores in Hunan only in Oh. Yeah, only in Hunan.
0: And oh, for those okay. of you
1: who haven't uh who maybe haven't come across Pandong Lai, it's a retail chain, it's a local retail chain in Hunan that constantly got themselves trending on Weibo because how good the employer is treating its staff and its customers. For example, I think one of the most recent trending stories is that the employer, the top boss, saw that some of its subsidiaries are working too hard and uh customers come too late so he actually shortened the opening hours for the stores that were selling tea and cigarettes that that is just amazing i don't know what to say and most recently i remember that they went they went trending because some people took pictures of their price tags and actually shows the wholesale price which is like how what they pay to the distributors or to the brand owners compared to the retail price, which is what we pay. So it shows how much margin there is. They also calculated the margin for you. They say that maybe like for this piece of goods, we uh, we are getting 20%. And for there was sound jackets, that they are only earning 30 cents each.
0: So... I mean, like the the example of Panhua is great because I think the way that it, you know, capture the attention of the public is by using some like very down to earth, a very, uh, you know, treat her employees uh, in a very good way. And, uh, it actually reminds me of Heidi Lao, you know, a, another hot pot mm-hmm. company in China. And, uh, Do you think that such type of down-to-earth way is hard for the international brands to to copy or to, to do, which can be a challenge for them to expand their brands in China?
1: Yes, I think it's definitely hard. I think maybe because of two reasons. One is that they need to do everything, especially in the luxury segment. They need to do everything according to their brand image and positioning and the second part is probably a lot of the decision makers are not based in China so if you go on the approval process and you need to ask for for permission to do something so local but really timely and that needs your urgent attention they may not be able to make decisions that fast, but there, I think there is a solution to this. And many international companies have already realized that they t- they need to use more local talents to be on the strategy side. The local talents cannot just be employees and uh, do whatever they're told. I think there's so much potential for local talent to step up and feel empowered to make decisions for China.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, we have talked about, you know, third or fourth tier cities and also, you know, people go for like more economical or more cheap price for the products. So do you believe that China is Mm. shifting, Chinese consumer market is shifting to like the consumption degrade and uh, in face of such shifts in China's consumer market, what adjustments should international brands do in their branding and marketing?
1: Yes, good question. I get asked a lot about consumption downgrade. Um, Mm -hmm. I think at first we need to look at the previous phase, which is consumption upgrade, right? Mm -hmm. In early, from early uh, 2010s to late 2010s, just before COVID, during that phase, um, because there's no negative connotation to it. I think every media, everyone's talking about how much they're willing to spend more on goods. But I think it's also because a lot more international brands were entering China back then. Also with the VC money, a lot of Chinese brand owners and entrepreneurs are starting up their own brands. So Mm there is that Uh, versus just simply people want to spend more money. And in this current phase, I like to say that, first of all, consumption downgrade is an oversimplification. Of course, you are seeing that people spend less money, but why? I think they want to spend less money because they see that, for example, the brands that cost less can actually already fulfill their needs, so they don't need to spend more. And also, they may see more value in the goods that are costing less. And also at the same time, I think what's promising is that they are still likely to spend on high performance goods because that's also where the value is at. So in terms of marketing and key messages for international brands, i like to say that if you have high performance goods or you need to find the unique selling point of your products versus the Chinese brands, the domestic goods makers, because that may be the make it or break it point. If you have done research, for example, in the past 10 years of consumers and you come up with this product, people are going to know people, do you want to buy things, especially the middle class? They do want to buy things that have been tested that are good for themselves because while we are seeing the economic downturn, we also seen that people want to take care of themselves, both physically and mentally. So they are actually more willing to spend on things that are good for their bodies and minds. So I like to say that they may want to dig deeper into the company knowledge database and see if there's anything that supports that. Because A lot of in a lot of scenarios when people downgrade, so called downgrade their spending, they're going for something called paint tea, which is a cheaper replacement made in China. That might also have done a really good job in branding, but they may not have the like the same level of expertise and knowledge that you do. So if you have accumulated so much knowledge for the market and for the consumers, you need to show them. You also need to show them why the quality of your goods is special and why people should pay for that premium to get your goods, not the locally made ones.
0: Mm -hmm. And you you just mentioned about the new first tier, second tier cities. Can you give us some examples of such type of cities?
1: Oh, yes. I think the new first tier cities, it was a term I think made popular by a business magazine because they did a ranking for new tier cities once and i think that's that's when it got popular but anyway it's kind of referring to tier two cities but because it has so much economic potential people has have so much spending power so i think that's that's the reason behind why we are calling this new first tier because These are cities that have tremendous potential. These cities include places like Changsha, Chengdu, Wuhan, Hangzhou. Basically, they are really close to the first-tier cities, which is Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Shenzhen. But people who...
0: Close in what way? I mean, close in like market? Oh, sorry. Close
1: geographically.
0: Uh (laughs) Oh, okay. Oh,
1: close geographically Uh, but people Chengdu
0: is not that close right Chengdu and Changsha is not that close
1: right but uh, yeah I think Chengdu has a very special place in China's retail world now because it's yeah how I see it is that a lot of brands would love to have their first store in Chengdu instead of the hmm. other saturated oh. markets
0: why 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 you think they have i think after, they, they,
1: they must have done some research too but in, when it comes to opening stores luxury always lead the trend so after covid um, luxury brands are already doing a lot more events in uh, these newer tier cities for example i I remember Louis Vuitton did a exhibition in Wuhan, um, because COVID put Wuhan on the map weirdly, but they want people and the world to know that they, they also have a lot of, um, customers there. But in Chengdu, because it's so far. Yeah. Yeah. You're right about how Chengdu is being far because Chengdu is far from the other economic centers like Yangtze Delta. Uh, or the greater bay area but it kind of has a concentrated spending power because just from secondary information i think people there are more laid back about spending and they care more about their lifestyle than constant constant hustling and these days i think it's also driven by the new workforce in places like wuhan Chengdu, because a lot of tech companies are opening up subsidiaries there. So they they are bringing over a bunch of workforces that are able to spend.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's move to the China go overseas. You know, currently mm-hmm. several Chinese local brands have successfully started their businesses overseas, such as the Milk Tea Shop, Mi Ice Cream and Tea, and the well-known haopo restaurant we just talked about, the, the Hai Di Lao. So, one of your recent posts talks about the Chinese makeup trends among Japan's youth have opened doors for Chinese beauty brands in the market, though it does not necessarily translate into sales. So, what localized strategies do you think these Chinese brands have made to better cater to foreign consumer markets? And in comparison to the international brands, what competitive advantage do these brands have in overseas markets?
1: So, when it comes to strategies, I think Chinese brands have already realized, or at least I hope they realize that they cannot just apply the Chinese playbook in the local market. And what is a Chinese Chinese playbook? And they expect traffic to drive everything. They expect that when they put money into ads, into influencers, people are going to buy. But that may not apply in certain places like Japan, where people still prefer physical retail, and so that's one part. The second part is that think, uh, when it comes to, uh, I'm not th- not talking about food and beverage per se, but maybe more about the fashion and beauty products, they need to realize the cultural differences. I think that would be particularly tough for the founding team entrepreneurials here to realize because we, we are in a homogeneous state. We typically don't notice the differences between ethnicities because most of us are Han. But that's not the case with rest of the world, the rest of the markets. So from what I heard about like beauty brands entering Southeast Asia, they really need to hire uh, local staff who know the culture, who know where is the red line, where is the hong xian that you cannot touch and respect local culture, respect local minorities. So those those are the four consumer brands. But I think when it comes to food and beverage, things may be a bit easier as long as you abide by local regulations and food safety laws, because food is easier to understand and people know you are from china people know your chinese food so the local customers may expect to be educated rather than rather than that you should go along with their preferences
0: yeah yeah i was also thinking that maybe it's easier just for food and beverage company to go overseas and that's why Mm -hmm. the names we were seeing are of meaning from the food and beverage sector. And uh, the Central Economic World Conference stressed the importance of developing green consumption and healthy consumption. The green consumer market in China has seen some development in recent years, I believe. So how do you perceive the changes in Chinese consumers' awareness and demand for green and sustainable practices? And to better align with the green consumer market in China, how should international brands Effectively convey their environmental and the sustainable development values. And are there any successful international brands promotion you want to share, or maybe some local brands successful promotion campaign it is also worth to talk about? Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. Thank you for asking this. There's a lot. I would love to share. Know where to start? Uh. First of all, maybe from the awareness aspect. Um. I think the because of the economic state, it's going to take a hit because it may not be people's priority. I think that there was a very a pronounced trend, I think, before uh, everyone felt that their economy is bad. I saw that because over the years, I watched double 11 campaigns reaction online. And uh, some people will, will still post about how many packages they buy. That was actually, I think, before, during COVID. Someone got 50 or 60. And there was actually very few comments down below about like how wasteful it is when it comes to packaging, when it comes to delivery. I think over the years, there are also some smaller brands, like there's Shanghai Fashion Group, Zach's. Ancora, they do these circular events and sustainable markets all the time. But things like this are on the smaller scale. What I think can really make a difference in China is for businesses to actually work with governments and uh, the brands themselves need to educate themselves on local rules and also maybe on where the blank space is so they can fill that in. For example, I saw the Adidas has set up a zero carbon production center in Jiangsu province. I think that can definitely make more difference than telling consumers what to do. One of the more recent examples, I think bad examples I heard, is that international beauty brand asked consumers to donate empty bottles so that they can recycle the bottles. But what falls short here is that the marketers aren't knowledgeable enough about what can be recycled or what can what cannot be so when they dropped the marketing campaign they didn't ask people to clean out the bottle or uh, peel off the stickers which causes a lot of more trouble in the later phases so as far as i know this brand is actually paying is inquiring solutions for other recycling companies to do that for them. Otherwise, these bottles are just going to end up in landfill, which I hope is not the case. So I think what I'm saying that as international brands, before they do something like a marketing campaign, the marketers should familiarize themselves with the local rules and regulations, especially about recycling itself Um, so that the campaigns don't end up being a greenwashing campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Yalin. Thank you for coming to, to my show. And it's great to talk to you today. Uh, and maybe after several months, we can do another one to talk about what was new in the 2024. It's, I think it's a year. China is definitely Chinese economy experience some challenges, but there are also some new opportunities you just talk about. So, yeah. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, yeah. We we'll love that. Cool.
0: Okay. Thank you. bye 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 bye. Thank you for listening to the Inside the Channel Room podcast. For cooperation, investing, or feedback, you can email me directly at jjimg.siisu at hotmail.com. Alternatively, please consider leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Substack. If you find our podcast helpful, we would be delighted if you recommend it to others. See you next time and take care.